Hi, I'm Dan Primack, and welcome to Axios Recap. Today's Tuesday, March 23rd. Gas prices are up to a three-year high, AstraZeneca stock is down, and we're focused on America's border crisis. Two months into his presidency, Joe Biden is facing his first major test that doesn't have anything, or at least not much, to do with COVID-19. It's the surging number of undocumented immigrants at the border, including thousands of unaccompanied minors. It's both a humanitarian and political crisis, with lots more questions than answers about the administration's plan to address it. Three things to know. First, U.S. Customs officials report a 28% increase in apprehended migrants between January and February of this year. It's a big number, but for context, the 2019 figure was a little higher at 31%. On the other hand, the number of unaccompanied minors in that period is up 61%, which blows away past increases. And to be clear, we're comparing to 2019 because all the numbers were down in 2020 due to the pandemic. It's certainly true that Biden's immigration rhetoric is much more welcoming than that of his predecessor. Plus, migration always tends to increase as the weather warms, typically peaking in May. Those are what we'd call pull factors. But don't discount the push factors, like the giant December hurricane in Honduras that left thousands homeless and has caused food shortages throughout Central America. Three, Biden has some very lofty, long-term legislative goals on immigration, including a pathway to citizenship and development capital for some of the countries from where the migrants are fleeing. But in the shorter, more pressing term, it's much more complicated and a lot less clear. So in 15 seconds, we'll dig into what's really happening at the border, including with kids and what Biden plans to do next with Axios' Steph Kite. But first, this. We're joined now by Axios' Steph Kite, who covers immigration for us. Steph, let's start with the, the basic question. Is there actually a surge right now or is this just March and the weather's getting warmer and this is what happens when there's not a pandemic? There is certainly a surge. The numbers that we're seeing, particularly with unaccompanied minors who are crossing the border right now, are really striking. We're seeing based on the average number of kids crossing the border each day that I've seen in DHS documents, we're looking at, for March, seeing more than 15,000 kids crossing the border in just one month. And that's a number that we've never seen before. Is it something that the Biden administration should have been able to predict? Or is it, as you say, unprecedented and they weren't so much caught flat-footed that they had no reason to expect this? There were some warning signs going into this administration. The numbers had already started to tick up towards the end of the Trump administration. And there were several experts and former officials and current officials who were eyeing those trends and were preparing to see an increase at the border. I spoke to people before the Biden administration took office, um, talking to them about these trends. And there was concern even then. So I think it is fair to say that the Biden administration should have been prepared for this. And in another sense, we have seen these kinds of surges before. We saw it in 2019 with both family migrants and child migrants. And we also saw it in 2014 under President Obama with child migrants again. So this is not the first time that the border has been overwhelmed in similar ways. So that's another data point to me that shows that the government needs to know how to handle these situations and we're still seeing struggling at the border. We'll talk future policy in a minute, but for what we've seen so far in the first two months of the Biden administration, what are the biggest differences in terms of operational policy differences between what we have now and what we had uh, in the closing days of the Trump administration? 
Well, the Biden administration obviously has ended a few of the policies that the Trump administration put in place at the border, including ending the remain in Mexico policy, which forced asylum seekers to wait in Mexico um, for their immigration cases to come to court in the U.S. So they ended that and they're in the process of bringing those people into the U.S., um, through through a separate process. The other thing they ended were um, asylum agreements that the Trump administration set up with Central American countries um, that essentially allowed the U.S. to deport some asylum seekers to Central American countries. Um, the other thing the Biden administration isn't doing is they're not expelling kids to Mexico who cross the border without their parents. The first one you mentioned, the Remain in Mexico policy, is that something that was being fairly uniformly enforced by Mexico? It wasn't enforced across the entire border. It was being enforced in certain areas. And there was a lot of criticism around this policy. And lots of people were concerned that it was putting migrants in danger. But yes, this was a system that had agreement from Mexico. There's been a lot of talk about rhetoric, right? Not as much policy, but, you know, that the, the Joe Biden is viewed as, call it, more welcoming, more encouraging uh, of immigration than obviously than Donald Trump was, who, who was very harsh on it when it came to rhetoric. Do you believe rhetoric is playing any sort of significant role in this increase? It plays a role, but I would be hesitant to say it plays a significant role. I think one of the biggest changes is just how clearly the Trump administration talked about people not coming to the border. And so the change from Trump to Biden is also significant. And so people saw Biden as not Trump. And he did have a platform that um, was very supportive of immigration. And he did say he was going to end all of these different policies that the Trump administration put in place. So all of those things do factor in. It's really hard to um, tell how much that factors into migrants' decision to go on a very perilous journey to the U.S. There are obviously a lot of push factors like the hurricanes in Honduras, general poverty. The pandemic would have exacerbated the poverty that already exists in many of the Central American countries. So I don't want to give too much credit to the Biden administration for for causing the migration, but it does certainly play a role. One of the things uh, Joe Biden had said and, and Kamala Harris said also during the campaign was that they didn't want to use some of these for-profit child uh, detention facilities for unaccompanied minors, particularly one in Florida. But as you say, you've got this record number now of kids, unaccompanied kids coming across. Does the Biden administration ultimately really have a choice? There are very few options available at this point, and that's something that I'm watching very closely. I just don't see how much longer they can go, how many more kids they can bring in without using every single available resource. And that includes that homestead shelter that has been um, accused of abuse and other issues in the past. So we'll have to wait and see. I know that the administration is very hesitant to open that facility in particular, but it seems like they're running out of options. Speaking of options, the, the Biden administration obviously has kind of the, these lofty, long-term, you know, big immigration plan goals. In the short term, though, right now, kind of with stroke of the pen, what can he do or what do you think he will do outside of just try to wait out the seasonal increase? I mean, the things that we're seeing the administration work on now is, first of all, just expediting the process of releasing kids to sponsors, making it easier for kids who um, come into U.S. custody to be released to family members who are already in the U.S. This is a process that happens often. Sometimes kids cross the border with phone numbers of family members who are already in the U.S. So they're working on trying to make that 
system faster so that they can make space for more kids coming in. Um, they're also trying to expedite the process of releasing families. Um, we've seen them change family detention centers into more like processing centers where they're trying to get them out within 72 hours. So that's one, one side of the equation that the administration is actively working on. We're also seeing them turn to Mexico and Central American countries to get help, asking them to um, either increase enforcement in their country where they're going to stop migrants who are crossing through Guatemala, through Mexico to the U.S., and also working on ways to provide aid to these countries where migrants are fleeing and trying to set up safer ways for migrants to apply for asylum or refugee status in the U.S. from their home countries. Final question for you, Steph. You cover immigration. Uh, yesterday, you published a story on Axios with photos from one of these uh, detention facilities. The Biden administration has uh, not been terribly transparent when it comes to letting journalists uh, access these facilities. Why do you think that is? And, and is the pressure, do you feel, growing enough that they're going to have to, to reverse course on that? I mean, I think the reasons that they don't want reporters in those facilities are some of the reasons why those photos went so far yesterday and why we're continuing to see videos. It is not a good look, especially in a pandemic, to see this many um, migrants and often young migrants in these conditions. There are, of course, legitimate safety concerns for the kids, and especially during a pandemic, I understand them not wanting to have tons of people in these facilities but there is certainly an element to this where they don't want people to see. They don't want the on-the-ground visuals that, that we saw yesterday in the images. Steph Kaidavaxios, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Welcome back. What we watched today was a Senate hearing on gun control, which was scheduled before the recent mass murders in Atlanta and Boulder, Colorado, and then subsequent comments in support of new gun control measures by President Biden. As has been true for years, Democrats want things like expanded background checks to close the so-called gun show loophole and to ban what they refer to as assault rifles. Republicans, well, they whip out their interpretation of the Second Amendment and make analogies to things like how we don't ban cars just because they're drunk drivers. The bottom line is that the House of Representatives did pass a new gun control bill on March 11th, just days before the Atlanta shooting. But for now, it seems that Senate approval is unlikely. Today, we are also reading a very unusual statement from the National Institutes of Health, which expressed concern about the data released yesterday by AstraZeneca about its COVID-19 vaccine. In short, NIH said the drug maker might have used, quote, outdated information that could change the efficacy results. AstraZeneca said it would immediately engage to resolve the issues. And finally, if you are someone who has managed to get a vaccine, Krispy Kreme is offering you one free donut per day for a year. No word yet on if COVID is more dangerous or less dangerous than 365 glazed donuts. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers, Naomi Shaven, and Alex Sugiora. Have a great national Melbatos Day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Axios Recap. <laughs>